Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 977. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Please join with me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who has promised to teach us your word. And so fill us with your spirit and be our teacher. Help me as I proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. I ask in his name. Amen. All right, so I have a question for you. Would you agree that God typically does things differently than we would do things, that he confounds us by doing the opposite of what we would expect? For instance, after Christ rose from the dead, if, if we were the ones planning out what, what God should do next, um, we probably would have had Christ come back and begin zapping all his enemies into submission. It would have been messy, but it had been a quick and easy uh, way for him to establish his rule on earth. However, instead of zapping all his enemies He sent his disciples to wade out into the Jewish population that had crucified Christ. By definition, the message of the cross was going to be a huge stumbling block to the Jews because they were the ones who nailed him to the cross. And if they hated Jesus enough to nail him to the cross, what are the chances that the Jews are going to listen to his no-account disciples? Or what about the Gentiles? You know, even God said that the message of the cross was folly uh, to the Gentiles. Well, maybe if God chose the best and the brightest, then he could gain some street credibility with the Gentiles. But instead... According to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, he did not choose the best and the brightest. As Paul says, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. 
My point is not simply that God does things differently than we would, but rather that God is so much wiser than we are that the things He does in His wisdom appear foolish to us. He is taking the best and the wisest course of action, and we are so far below Him in wisdom that our best and our greatest wisdom is foolishness in comparison. As 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 25 says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And I make this point because in our attempts to improve upon God's method for advancing the gospel, we end up doing some very foolish things. For instance, To add people to the church roles, some churches start with what appeals to unbelievers, and they arrange their worship services, they arrange the ministries of the church around what appeals to the lost, rather than considering what God says should be our priority. Uh, Marketing messages and lively ambiance in the uh, they don't really call it a sanctuary oftentimes, in the, the, the worship space or whatever it would be called, can become more important than the gospel message. Or what about our strategy for combating the uh, encroaching wickedness of the world? You know, we're living in a postmodern world where objective truth is no longer endorsed by the powerful and the influential. Our society uh, does not just believe in relativism. Frankly, we have blown right past relativism. Um, Our society is now mired in irrationality. Uh, And the powers that be are trying to impose that irrationality upon us. Uh, We are being told that our children really do not belong to the family. We're being told that transgenderism is a good thing. We're being told that being pro-life is hateful. And we could go on and on and on with the irrationality that is being imposed upon us. So in our wisdom, we might think it best to plunge headlong into the political fights, thinking that if we don't fight back with the same intensity that the world fights, then we are doomed to be overwhelmed by the crashing waves of wickedness uh, that is being imposed upon us. Let me remind you that God's foolishness is wiser than our wisdom. God's ways is always best. And God's way is to preach to the world the unsearchable riches of Christ. Let me read our passage again, because this is God's method. The Apostle Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, 
Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. You know, there's another example here in our passage of God's ways appearing to be foolish to our small wisdom. So let me ask this question. If God gave you the ability to choose one person uh, to change history, would you have chosen Adolf Hitler to defeat Nazi Germany? Or would you have chosen Joseph Stalin to defeat communism in the Soviet Union? Well, of course, none of us would make those decisions. Uh, they, in fact, those, those two would have been the last people that we would have chosen. But God, in his wisdom, chose Saul of Tarshish, a rabid hater of Gentiles and a persecutor of the church, to be God's vehicle to bring Christ's love to the Gentiles and to establish his church among the Gentiles. You know, even Paul couldn't get over the fact that God would love him and much less use him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Listen to verses 8 and 9 again. And just, he, as I read this, to me, he's just overwhelmed with God's graciousness to him. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, often in ministry, people will come up to me, some of you have come up to me and say that it's, it just seems too good to be true, that God would love you in spite of your sins, much less that he would have sent his son to die for me. Um, they will say, t- um, and, and die that awful death on the cross. Doesn't that seem too good to be true? Or a variant of this might be that they can't believe how God or how good God is to him despite their um, mistakes and rebellion in the past. But this is the, the essence of the grace of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of, church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. In other words, despite the enormity of your sins, regardless of your past, Notwithstanding your struggles in the present, because you belong to Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, your condemnation is removed, and your relationship with God is secure. Christ has done it all, 
and he will continue working in you even in spite of your struggles and your sins. So you can call on him, you can trust him, you can cling to him. In fact, that is what I call you to do this morning. I'll use myself as an example. I'm a wretched sinner that God has called into the gospel ministry. And I continue to be a sinner, but I can't call the elders up on Sunday morning and tell them, hey guys, I haven't been as holy as I should have. I can't preach today. Um, I have a calling and, a res- and responsibilities that go along with that calling. All I can do is cling to Jesus, call on Him for forgiveness, and rely on Him to use me in spite of myself. Now, when I am walking in obedience and my prayer life is firing on all the cylinders, I cannot rely on my performance even then. Even at my best, I am woefully short of all of God's standards, right? As are we all. And all I can do is cling to Jesus, call on Him for His forgiveness, and rely on Him to use me in spite of myself. And the same goes for you. Don't think that uh, God cannot or will not use you or that you cannot serve Him. He used Paul, the persecutor of the church. He uses me, and He will use you too. I know it runs counter to our typical ways of thinking, but God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom. When we are talking about the unsearchable riches of Christ, we need to realize that Christ and His salvation is really and truly unsearchable. Look at verse 8 again. Verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, when you start reasoning out in your brain how God's going to treat you or whether He will use you uh, because you're dwelling on your sin, you are by definition trying to search out what God tells us is unsearchable. When you start doing that, you need to stop. You need to look at the gospel promises in the Bible. You need to remember that they are all yes in Christ. And you need to cling to what the Word of God says, not what your reason might be teaching you or telling you. I I know some of you struggle with OCD, and when your mind starts revving up, you start saying, well, what if or what about? And I would tell you, stop. Flee to Jesus, take hold of his promises, read his promises over and again, recite them to your heart, remind yourself what his word says. Please remember that you're trying to search out what is unsearchable, 
and that God's foolishness is infinitely wiser than your wisdom. I keep mentioning the unsearchable riches of Christ. What am I talking about? Well, here in verse 8, Paul uses that phrase. We just read it. Now, he does not say the unsearchable facts of the gospel. He doesn't say the, uh, uh, the unsearchable salvation. What does he say? He says the unsearchable riches of Christ. Christ is our salvation. Look to him and his unsearchable riches. Because, and Christ is indeed unsearchable. Who can understand the mystery uh, of the incarnation? Christ is truly God while taking to himself a human nature. Who can fathom how one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, could die for untold masses of people and for all their countless sins? It doesn't fit between our ears. How could he remain sinless while living in this world and suffering the same temptations that we suffer? How can his righteousness be sufficient to be uh, to replace our unrighteousness? How can he be localized in a human body in heaven, yet dwell in the souls of every one of his people? Well, of course, he does that by his spirit. But even there is a great mystery. How can his intercession be effective for all our many prayers that are prayed in great weakness? How could we multiply, or we could multiply the questions and, and go on and on. Now, we, so we are testifying that the that the riches of Christ are unsearchable. Uh, in, fa- in fact, that's, this is one of the most unsearchable of all his riches. Jesus loves sinners so much that he pursues sinners even as they are running away from him. And the Bible teaches that every one, every sinner was running away from him. And He who is too holy to look upon sin pursues sinners and even became sin itself to suffer the wrath of God in our place. I dare you to plumb the depths of that love. You will find that that love has no bottom. That you would never have been able to figure this out on your own. This has to be revealed from you by God in heaven. In other words, you need to be regenerated. You need to have a new nature. You need to have, as uh, Jim read in the, the letter from the guy in prison, he was blind and God opened his eyes. How can you truly... Oh, you can... Even though he is unsearchable, you can truly and personally know him. Uh, you can love him truly 
and He loved you. You can have a real relationship with the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ. That's mind-blowing. It is indeed unsearchable. Whether it is a growing church, or, I'm, I'm sorry, whether it is growing a church or changing our society, God's method is always Christ. We are called to proclaim Christ and all of his staggering and beautiful riches. Christ is always the answer. He is always the way forward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30, we read, God made Christ our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. Jesus Christ is our everything. So let's make it practical as we close. If you're having trouble in your marriage, or if you are having trouble with your children, regardless of their age, what is the most effective thing that you can do? most effective thing you can do is gather uh, with your spouse or and gather with your children, gather as a family around the Word of God, and read about the Lord Jesus Christ. Read about His great and precious promises. Dwell on His great and precious promises. Discuss His glory. Discuss His grace. That is the most effective thing that you can do. Because Jesus Christ is God's answer. Let's say you have insufferable neighbors. Well, you can love them as Christ loved the church and find opportunities to speak to them about Christ because Christ is everything. It may not seem um, in your own wisdom the best approach. In fact, it might seem scary, might seem like, well... I'm not patient enough to gather with my family every every uh, day and read the scriptures with them. But it's the right approach because it's God's approach. And it makes Jesus the solution as we pray together. Lord, I ask that you would uh, remind us daily, even moment by moment, that Jesus though he is unsearchable, has revealed himself to us in the Scriptures and that we can know him and trust him even though we do not understand everything about him, nor will we in eternity future. Lord, I ask that uh, you would help us to keep our gaze fixed upon Jesus, knowing that his gaze is fixed upon us, Even his heart is set upon us, and he died for us, he rose for us, and he ever lives at your right hand to make intercession for us. Lord, be glorified in our lives as we trust in you. Amen.